Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scripture Chronicles. This is the podcast where we explore the unified story of the Bible. As usual, I am your host, Dylan, and joining me is my co-host, Corey Howard. If you have been listening to the past previous few episodes, you'll know that we are in Leviticus. And Leviticus is one of those books that usually ends most New Year's resolutions where people say, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And in January, they get through Genesis and Exodus. And then come February, they hit Leviticus. And that is the end of that. So we're pushing through and hoping that through this, you guys will have a new lens with which to look at the book of Leviticus. It actually is a very important book with a very important message and one that is going to continue to be important throughout the rest of the Hebrew Bible. That is the Old Testament. There's going to be books that constantly have hyperlinks back to Leviticus. So what we have done so far is we have introduced the structuring of the book, and then we have gone through the first few chapters. So last week we ended in chapter 17. We talked about how chapter 16 actually is really the centerpiece of the entire book. That is the day of atonement. So everything preceding chapter 16 kind of points up to the day of atonement. And then everything after chapter 16 really highlights that as well. Today, then, we're going to be on the downhill slope of talking about the Day of Atonement. And once again, it's going to come up again in our reading today. Also, with our reading today, we're going to continue to highlight this theme of holiness. Now, here to give us a little bit more of an in-depth review on what we covered last week is none other than our beloved Corey. So, Corey, what exactly did we go over last week? Get us all prepared to go over 18 through 22 today. Yeah, last episode, we bit off a pretty good chunk. We went through chapters 11 through 17, which is the biggest single section of the book so far. Well, that with the first section, which talked about sacrifices. Last week, we were just in the ritual purity of the camp from chapters 11 through 17, with the exception of chapter 16, like Dylan mentioned. It was all different things for the Israelites to have to obey, like in chapter 11, were a list of clean and unclean animals. And we saw in that list of animals, it being laid out in reference back to the way that creation was laid out in Genesis 1. And then we went to talking about purification after childbirth, talked about skin disease and how to cleanse skin disease and to cleanse houses and garments infected by different skin diseases and fun things like bodily discharges and what to do if you have a discharge and how to be cleansed from it. So there's lots of strange instructions about this has happened or your skin is looking in this way. Here's what you do about it. And it's mainly instructions to the priests for what to do about it with these individual members. It all is leading up to the pinnacle of the book, Day of Atonement, which we talked about has really clear hyperlinks to Jesus on the cross and even the week leading up to the cross and his resurrection and being presented at Passover with the prisoner Barabbas 
Um, so all sorts of ties in to what will happen with the character Jesus in the Gospels. So if you didn't catch all that, go ahead and look back to last week. Then we ended at chapter 17, which was still with that last section. Even though it's on the other side of Day of Atonement, we lumped it together with the stuff before. Because as far as themes, it really makes sense with all of those other themes. And so it's talking mostly about the place of sacrifice being the tabernacle alone. And it will soon become the temple alone when Solomon builds the temple. But basically, wherever God's presence is, that is the only okay place to make sacrifices to. And so we should be wary of people who are making altars of their own in various places and sacrifices of their own. And we had more instructions about various eating laws, you know, do not eat the blood. And yes, Leviticus uses the phrase eating blood, where we would say drinking blood, but that's not important. In that whole last section, God's laying out, this is what it means to be clean, and this is what it means to be unclean. And the last thing I want to wrap up was the big point of all those little details we said, and Leviticus says, To be unclean isn't sinful, but to enter into God's presence in an unclean state, that is sinful. So God wants to give all of his people an opportunity to come to him, and he's warning them, you guys cannot be unclean. So do yourselves a favor and purify yourselves. And so that was kind of the big mantra of last week's section of purify yourself, consecrate yourself. And so this week, we're going to kind of build off of that language. And it's going to shift quite a bit in a really cool way. But that's the groundwork leading into this week. Awesome. Thank you, Corey, for wrapping that up and then jumping now into this week's material. So as I already said, we're going to be attempting to cover chapter 18 through 22. So if you'd like, you can pause now and read through that. So jumping immediately into 18, we're titling this episode something along the lines of be holy because I am holy. And as Corey just said, the major thrust of this section, as well as the entire book of Leviticus, is this idea that these people, the Israelites, are to be consecrated and made holy because God is holy, because Yahweh is holy. And the book says that a ton. So you consistently see God say, be holy because I am holy. And then this all ties back into this idea that ultimately the major issue that we've been looking at so far in the Bible is the idea that ultimately humans desire to choose their own wisdom over and against godly wisdom. So all the way back in Genesis, we have the fall of humanity occurring specifically because humans decide that their wisdom is better than godly wisdom. They want to make decisions for themselves. Now we have God saying, in order to come before me, you need to be holy. And in order to be holy, you need to do that which I command. And so now we're getting a list of commands that God is saying, this is what you must do. This is what you mustn't do in order to actually be holy. And so we saw a bunch of that last week, and now we're going to continue to see a bunch of that this week. So in chapter 18, we have the idea that there needs to be moral purity among the Israelites. There are certain things that are not permissible for them on the basis that they are going to be holy. 
So this kind of flies in the face of a lot of what our modern culture proposes as good, where they ultimately say that which doesn't hurt anybody is fine for you to do. God says, no, that's not the case. You have to follow a specific set of standards to be holy. And so we, again, touched on that last week, where a lot of these standards seem like, why the heck would God impose that standard, that seems too strict. That seems too difficult. That seems too hard. This God is just authoritarian at this point. No, this God is holy. And if these people are going to be even remotely made holy, like this God is holy, they need to adhere to his standards. They cannot make up the standards for themselves. So in chapter 18, we start getting a whole list of sexual purity laws with whom they can and cannot have sexual relations with. And Corey pointed out that this whole section really deals with a major idea that we've already seen so far in chapter 18 verses 6 through 8. It talks about not having sexual relations with your mother because she is your mother, don't have relations with her, and that you're not wanting to dishonor your father and uncover your mother's nakedness because that is ultimately your father's nakedness. And so this idea of nakedness coming up yet again, we've seen this all the way back at the beginning of Genesis where the naked idea has to do with judgment. So at the very, very beginning, when humans hadn't fallen, they were naked and they weren't ashamed. As soon as they fell, we saw that they noticed that they were naked. The word there that's used for nakedness is different. And they realize in, in essence that they're under judgment. This idea comes up again in Noah, where Noah gets drunk and is uncovered in his tent. And the son Ham, who sees his father naked and goes out to his brothers and says, hey, my dad's naked. He's the one who gets judged for that. And then the brothers who don't look upon their father's nakedness and go in and cover his nakedness are the ones that end up being blessed. And this idea goes all the way into the New Testament where Jesus clothes our nakedness. So again, the idea of doing that which is appropriate and doing that which God commands so as not to uncover the specific nakedness that is a nakedness of judgment is really what's in focus here. And so we see that through all of the sexual relations laws and commands do this, don't do this, specifically because there are certain ways that you're supposed to behave yourselves in these sexual relations. Corey, do you have anything else to say on chapter 18 before we move on? Yeah, and the really close hyperlink, like Dylan said, to the story of Noah had to do with covering the nakedness of their father. So two of the sons of Noah covered Noah's nakedness. And the language of Leviticus 18 says, do not uncover the nakedness of your father. Do not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. And so this leads some people to look back at what happened with Noah and his sons to think, oh, did Ham do something with his mom, with Noah's wife, that is. And the context of Genesis doesn't seem to think so, but we see that the way in which this language is laid out in Leviticus, it just seems kind of weird like, why don't they just say, don't sleep with your father's wife? Why is it having to do with every single thing is do not uncover the nakedness of, and it lays out all these different family members. Well, it has us thinking back to one, the nakedness in the garden and two, the uncovering of nakedness in Noah's story. So if you're reading this section, like what's the deal with the way in which these phrases are working? That's the reason why. And so if you're confused at all, as, as I was for a long time, just know that 
Leviticus is intentionally using language to tie back to the beginning and different various phrases and stories in Genesis. How the tabernacle is laid out, kind of like how Eden was laid out. Even the curtain work within the tabernacle looks like plants that remind people of Eden. So in the same way, the author is just trying to connect us to Genesis. I do have one other thing to say as well before we pass through chapter 18. And that is near the end of chapter 18, verse 28, where it says, And if you, Israel, defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. And so we get a list of commands. And this is all in the context of this covenant that has been formed with Israel, between Israel and God. We've already talked about how this is a conditional covenant, one that they need to keep the stipulations of the covenant in order to receive the blessings. If they don't, they will receive the curses. The curses being that if they fail to obey the commands that God is giving to be holy, the land ultimately is going to vomit them out. And that's a major theme that started all the way back in Genesis, where if you disobey, which they did, they were booted out of God's good land, which which God had appointed for them. Now, in this case, God has appointed yet another good land, the promised land for the Israelites. And here, if they fail to keep the commands, which we already know they will, they are going to be booted out of this land as well. So keep that in the back of your mind. That's going to consistently come up as a theme, the idea of being outside of the land, being kicked out or exiled from the land and dying outside of the land. So that is the punishment for failing to keep God's commands. So now jumping into chapter 19, we have the title in pretty much every English translation as various laws. So we have a bunch of different things that God addresses now in chapter 19 with the ultimate goal being be holy because I am holy. So what's going on in chapter 19, Corey? Essentially, God's laying out, be holy for I am holy. The last line of chapter 18 says essentially do these things. Because I am Yahweh, your God. And then in chapter 19, verse 2, Yahweh speaking to Moses and says, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. Okay, so that's something we've seen before. Like, you need to be holy because I am holy. And then we get into various laws that tie into holiness. What God's holiness will mean to his community and therefore, how the community needs to act to be holy. And so the first things that God starts with is things like revering your father and mother and keeping Sabbaths and not turning to making idols and worshiping other idols, which is things we've seen in the Ten Commandments. But we see the important things of God being laid out first. You see that the family relationship is super important. And these things being passed on to the following generations as super important. So this is a call for children to obey parents, but also parents to train up their kids so that they will be revering their father and mother, so that they will be obeying God, will be holy, to be keeping Sabbaths and only worshiping God and not idols. I want to skip down into the next section where in verses 9 and 10, it starts talking about what to do when you're reaping harvests, which is kind of weird because you're thinking like, all right, here's how to be holy. And it says, all right, when you have a field in the land and when you go through to reap it, 
don't go and get all the edges of the fields. And if you have a vineyard, don't strip the vineyard bare because I want you to be thoughtful of the poor and the sojourner in your land. I am the Lord. It's like, wait a minute. This is, this is much different than the section before. So the section before we talked about, that was ritual purity. Now we're getting into moral purity. We start getting into, here's how to think of others. He lays out things like, hey, don't steal from others. Don't oppress people. In court, uphold justice. Towards the end of this section, in verses 17 and 18, God says, don't hate your brother in your heart. Don't take vengeance or bear a grudge against someone from your own people. Instead, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. So this is a really big deal for Yahweh. So this isn't just like rules, you shall do this, you shall not do this. This is getting into the heart of the matter. God's laying out different and various laws, not hoping that we just maintain the letter of the law, but he's trying to get at the heart. I want you to act in a certain way. I want you to think a certain way. I want from the innermost of your being to change and that affects the way in which you live, your actions. So from inwards to outwards, you kind of need to be a, a totally new creation. And so we're going to see God kind of go back into other weird little various laws of holiness, like, hey, don't sow two different kinds of seed, and don't let cattle breed with a different kind of cattle, and don't wear a garment of cloth made of two different kinds of materials. We go from, all right, just love your neighbor as yourself, treating people as you want to be treated, right back into more holiness kind of things. Dylan, do you have anything to say on the holy type of things that God kind of changes gears into? Sure. Yeah, this is kind of one of those sections where people often get a bit tripped up in the respect that when reading through this, most people go through the Bible with the main question in their mind, how does this apply to me? And that's the first question they ask when they read the text. Now, when going through the book of Leviticus as a whole, particularly getting to this part, all of a sudden you see something like, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. And if you know anything about modern clothing, you know that it's like 12 different types of material. And so people go, oh my gosh, how does this apply to me? Now, am I supposed to wear this? Am I not supposed to wear this? And they're ultimately asking the wrong question first. The first question that we should be asking is, what is the author trying to get at by including this in the text? And so in this section in particular, we've already seen that the major thrust that the author of Leviticus is making is be holy because God is holy. And we're going to see in chapter 20 how that really plays out where God divides the Israelites from every other nation saying, hey, you have to actually be separate and not participate in the practices of the other nations specifically because you belong to me. So in that, what the author is trying to do is highlight the fact that ultimately the Israelites need to be separated. That is what the very idea of holiness means, means that they are actually set apart for the specific task of being Yahweh's. 
And so by not having different kinds of animals mate or not mixing seed or not mixing clothing fibers, these are simple ways that the Israelites can actually go about their lives with constant reminders and symbols in their daily lives, in their heads always, that they are set apart. They're not going to be like the other nations. They're not going into this land simply to adopt the practices of all of those idolatrous nations that are already there. They're going into this land to be set apart for Yahweh. And so these bits are ways that they are being shown that on a daily basis. Now, the question arises, why does this follow immediately after God telling them, love your neighbor? Well, one thing Corey did point out to me pre-podcast is the fact that this bears really striking resemblance farther forward into the New Testament when Jesus is asked to sum up the law, and he does so by saying, love God and love others. And so that's a summary that Jesus gives that is going to be an active summary that we're going to see even into Deuteronomy, where we're going to see that loving is obedience. So by loving, the Israelites are following God and obeying him. The idea of loving is very closely tied with the idea of obedience. And then it is, like I already said, connected later on into the New Testament, where Jesus says, ultimately, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in love God and love others. If you love God and love others, you will obey God and you will do his will. You can love and obey, but you can't obey without loving. And so that's really kind of what we came up with for why these two are kind of iterated one right after the other. Love your neighbors and then all of a sudden back into this holiness language and rules and things that you need to do in order to be set apart. Corey, any other thoughts on that or you want to keep rolling? Yeah, that was awesome. There's some other things we see God not just caring about people's love for others, but even care for the land. I mean, in that same section, like in verse 23 through 25, it talks about when you come into the land, you can't eat any kind of tree for food. You should regard its fruit as forbidden. Oh, flashback to the Garden of Eden. But it's not just that this is a bad fruit for you. It's you got to give it five years to rest and to grow. So you're going to take care of the land. Going back up to the top of the section where it ties in, hey, remember the Sabbaths. All right, so when you come in here, to this new land I'm giving you, give it rest before you just start devouring it. One of the last things in this section, we see God say, well, this is how you treat various types of people. One, if you see like mediums and necromancers, you're going to be unclean by them. So get them out of the land with you. But if you see a sojourner in the land, don't do him any wrong. You were once sojourners in the land of Egypt. So when you see a sojourner, treat him well. You shall love him as yourself. We see God saying, don't just love your neighbor, love the sojourner, love those who you might even consider an enemy, maybe by paths of war and whatnot. And so we see God's idea of love being really important to obedience of his commands. So again, you can obey these commands without love, but God's trying to get people to understand that I want you to love. And if you're loving God, There is no way that you will not obey him. We're hoping that Israel will catch this. And we're hoping we ourselves will catch this, that love leads to obedience. But we shouldn't just obey the letter of the law without any love, because that's what the law is really trying to serve to do. Right. And we're going to see this really closely in chapter 20, as Dylan said. Yeah, exactly. As we've seen, 
The major issue, biblically speaking, is that humans want their own wisdom over and against godly wisdom. And so God here isn't necessarily giving a strict set of rules and regulations simply for the sake of giving rules and regulations. As we've talked about many times on the podcast, the very word Torah, which is often translated as law, isn't best translated as law. These are instructions. These aren't black and white rules, do this or die sorts of things. These are do these things because these things will lead to godly wisdom. And ultimately, loving God and loving others is the pinnacle of godly wisdom. It leads to godly wisdom. So moving on into chapter 20, 20 is really going to be the highlight of today's episode. It's going to be the pinnacle of this section because it really gets at the root of the matter. As I've already touched on when we were going through 19, this is going to be the section where God gets into the idea that these Israelites need to be separated. They need to be set apart. They cannot adopt the practices of the other nations around them. These other nations are idolatrous and do not worship Yahweh. They cannot mingle with these other nations and adopt even some of their practices and incorporate them into their worship because they are going to be set apart completely for God. And God is an all or nothing God. He demands everything or you receive the curses of this covenant. So that's really what we're going to see in chapter 20. The major thrust again being be holy because I am holy. And again, like I already said, holiness is the idea that they are set apart. So being set apart then for God's purposes, it would follow that they cannot add any of the other practices of the other nations. Corey, go ahead and jump into chapter 20. Let's get into it. Yeah, so chapter 20, this is where we're going to see some language change about holiness. And this is a super important chapter for our understanding of it. But first and foremost, the different various instructions that God gives starting chapter 20 is punishment for child sacrifice. I mean, I would hope so that there would be a punishment for that because it's a terrible thing. And so there's another God in the neighboring lands by the name of Molech. We don't know much about Molech yet. But God says, if you or anyone in your land gives his children to Molech, they shall be put to death because they're going to spread their practices around. It's like we seen earlier in Leviticus. You got to purge this evil from your camp. We don't want people going after and whoring after other gods, as it says in verse five. And we don't want people giving terrible and evil practices and infecting the people around them. We want people to be infected with holiness around them, not evil deeds like this. And we get into different types of sexual immorality and punishments for it. So don't lay with someone who's not your wife or anyone else's wife. And don't lay with an animal or do anything terrible. And, and don't, you know, exchange good sexual relationship with a man and a woman for something that's perverse, like a man with a man or a woman with a woman. So don't do any of that. The punishment for almost all of them is death. Going through now the whole chapter, the big overlook, the whole thing, something that we will see over and over in chapter 20. One, you shall keep my statutes. But then there's a call to holiness, but not like the previous chapters. We've seen a lot of be holy for I am holy, where we might be tempted to put the emphasis on us. We need to choose to be holy and we might even slip into, oh, we got to make ourselves holy. But God says, I, Yahweh, 
am holy. I am the one who separated you from the peoples. I did this that you would be mine. Even says a, a really important verse for this is in verse eight. It says, keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. You'll see a lot of words like holy and sanctify and consecrate. And it's all the same root word in Hebrew. So different variations of the word Kodesh. I am the one who makes you holy. And this is a really, really important idea that we realize that Yahweh is the one who makes people holy. So something as I was reflecting on holiness in Leviticus and this section, um, a little conclusion I came to. And it's something I feel like we all know very well is that God makes people and things holy. But this is really important to point out because without thinking about it, we might slip into saying that these commandments or sacrifices make people holy. But none of these practices are given credit for making someone or something holy. Only God is given that credit in Scripture. So the people need to respond with obedience, believing God will make them holy. But we must never confuse this point to think that obedience to the commandments makes one holy. Again, let me say this idea one more time in a different way. It is through faith in God, shown in obedience, that one is made holy by God. I see a lot of people talk about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and say, oh yeah, people, by following the law, then they earn holiness. But that wasn't what it was about. It was about having faith in God, and by their faith, they would be made holy, and by their faith, they would be sanctified. And we talked about that in the first section on sacrifices. But unfortunately, you know, even we today, but the people of this covenant didn't realize the heart behind the commands. And so they didn't realize that, oh, yeah, it's God who makes me holy. And we might s- slip into the same false mindset, like, oh, I need to do good in order for God to accept me. But rather, it is by faith in God that God sanctifies us. And it's by faith in God here that we see that God makes his people holy. So this is the big shift in language I was talking about earlier, where before this, we might have been inclined to say like, oh, yeah, we need to choose holiness. The people, the camp need to choose holiness. And while that is a big emphasis, here chapter 20 kind of clarifies things. Follow these commands, but remember, I make people, I make things holy. Anything else, Dylan? Not really on that section, no, but I think that that's a fantastic point and definitely a worthwhile observation to perhaps even re-listen to and really take to heart. God is the one that makes people holy. And that's going to come up later in our study as well as we get into the New Testament and start discussing the law, particularly when we start discussing Pauline literature. So Paul's take on the law that will come up as well. So ultimately it is God. There's nothing that we can do to work our way to God. Even back then in this covenant, it wasn't that they could work their way to God, work their way to perfection, work their way to holiness. God makes them holy. I think that's a great point, Corey. Thanks for pointing that out. Let's keep trucking along. We're going to get into the last section that we're going to cover today. And this is a section that's on 
the priests themselves. And so in 21 and 22, it specifically deals with the priests and how they are to be and things that they need to follow. And if you're tempted up until this point to think that all of these rules, all of these laws apply to the common folk, but that the priests are going to be treated differently, you're in for a rude awakening in the respect that the priests ultimately fall under the same very instructions and laws and commands that everybody else does. It almost seems like a repeat of information we've already seen. But in like those earlier chapters we covered last week, that was kind of for the common folk. And so, yeah, Dylan makes a good distinction. Now this is about the priests, although it's really similar instructions. This is having to do with them. We start out with Yahweh calling the priests... So holy marriages and families. I don't know how much you guys have ever studied about the priests. If you're a Christian and you're listening to this podcast, a lot of our culture of Christianity in America focuses on Pauline literature. We like to focus in on things of, all right, here's the instructions for Christian life. And here's the instructions for overseers of a church. Or here's the instructions for elders of a church. It's like, all right, uh, let me go and study these scriptures, these instructions. So that, you know, I can see, oh, my church is doing this well. That's awesome to know I'm in a healthy church. If we ever find that our church is doing something contrary to the scriptures, we should be like, wait a minute, why is this different from scriptures? There's similar instructions for God and his priests. That is similar to what Paul says about overseers and elders in the New Testament and the church God lays down for his priests. And so one of the big things that Paul talks about for elders, overseers, pastors is that you need to have your home together. That's almost how all those instructions start. So same thing with the priests here in chapter 21. You need to have your home together. Priests, you need to marry a woman who is a virgin. Don't marry someone who is divorced. Don't marry someone who is widowed. Do not marry a prostitute because God knows that it's really important for a man to have a good woman. I know that I would not be half the man I am today if I had not married a woman as great as Cassie. My wife, who is extremely devoted to God, she kind of raises the standard for me and how to live for God. And I do the same for her, right? It's not a one-way stream. So God realizes that that is important for his priests, those who are interceding for the people to God, they need to have their homes together, marry a good woman. The way in which he parents is going to have to be at a really high standard. So Come in the future, future stories about priests and leaders of Israel, we should be looking forward to how their children after them fare. So we already talked about a couple episodes back when Aaron's sons died for offering unauthorized incense. Like, oh man, Aaron kind of blew it in relaying these instructions. Uh, even going back to Jacob, Jacob did a terrible job of raising up his children well. They're crazy. They're hooligans. And so we're going to look forward into the future for, especially now the office of priests, but really any other leaders of Israel, how are they doing at preparing their children to take over leadership? In this case, how are they going to do it taking over as priests? So God really nails in the family connection is very important as far as instructions go. And then as far as Aaron's sons go, that none of his sons will be able to serve if they have blemishes or skin diseases. Just like the common people, if they have a skin disease, they have to leave the camp. Aaron and his sons, the Levites, are not off the hook for things like that as well. And then we see that 
Aaron and his sons are not able to touch the dead. They cannot leave the tabernacle when they're serving to go and mourn for even their family, which is going back to Aaron and his sons. Back in chapter 10, when his sons died, Aaron didn't leave the tabernacle. He kept serving. However, he did not want to eat of the burnt offering. And Moses said, okay, that's okay. As long as you're serving in the tabernacle, you're not going away to bury your sons. You're not touching your sons. Uh, so that's kind of pointing back to what Aaron did for mourning. And it's going to be looking forward to how other priests handle this type of thing. It just continues on in chapter 22, where it talks more about priests cannot serve with skin diseases. And it gets into things about what the priests do. So like giving offerings or even eating of the holy things within the tabernacle. Verse 10, it says, a lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. Uh, this is something interesting to point out. And it goes on to say that no foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. So a lay person, the Hebrew word for this is someone who is strange or different. Someone strange cannot eat of a holy thing. So just as the Bible has already described holiness as something set apart. So in the same way, someone that is strange to this set apart way, almost like common, I guess, but is trying to talk about it in terms of holiness, in terms of being set apart. So no stranger to the set apart way can eat of these holy things. So this is going to be, again, kind of building the scene for later stories. But this is really important. It's how we should be understanding holiness. Even the way in which we understand things that are not holy, people that are not holy, they are strangers to holiness. They're not set apart for God's mission. They're different to that, right? So this is a really important idea for our understanding of holiness. And then we get into ideas of what's an acceptable offering. So priests, if you're going to offer a burnt offering or really any offering, you better not offer anything with a blemish. If someone offers something that is blind, that better be rejected by the priests who is going to be accepting these things on behalf of Yahweh and then sacrificing it on behalf of the people. And so if the Levites start offering really unacceptable and blemished offerings, there's going to be a big problem between God and his people. And his people will not be forgiven. They will not be accepted. Maybe worse things will happen, like God lashing out in punishment on his people. So we're going to see stories later on where people think that they can offer the worst of their flocks because, oh yeah, you know, God is there. And this is kind of something that we do culturally. Like, no, you have to realize, although God is invisible to you, he is very real. And we have books like Malachi saying, what would you do as far as giving a sacrifice to your governor? Do you think that your governor would accept a mutilated sacrifice? Like something that was blind or deaf or really diseased? Of course, he would not accept that. So why would you try to offer these things to your God? So he's trying to shape the mindset of the people. Regard God as holy. Regard him as someone to be revered, to be feared, to be respected. And then we will have no problems. But again, from this qualifications of the priests and their sacrifices to the last section, which had to deal with moral purity, God's trying to reprogram the people's minds. 
of how they are to approach him and how they are to approach life and approach others. They are to regard God as holy and therefore be holy themselves. They are to love God and therefore love other people, kind of like how God loves. This is the big ideas of how the priests are to act before God. And it ends with these really cool last few lines. I'm just going to read the last three lines of Leviticus 22, the last lines of this section, where it says, You shall keep my commandments and do them. I am Yahweh. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh. So, camp of Israel, God's holy people, be set apart and realize God sanctifies you, but it requires love and obedience to God as well. As you are bearing God's name, kind of like we talked about the Ten Commandments, regard it as holy, carry it around as holy, respect it. That's all I have to say on this section, Dylan. Do you have anything? Remember the book structure that we've already talked about. It's consistently important. So, so far we have gone through the sacrifices, the ritual sacrifices, the ordination of the priests, and then certain purity laws. Then we got to the center of the book, which was chapter 16, Day of Atonement. And now we're working our way through the moral purity. That's 18 through 20, like we talked about today. And then the qualifications specifically for priests. So the moral purity aligns with the ritual purity from 11 through 17. And then these qualifications align with chapters 8 through 10, where Moses ordains the priests themselves. The final section that we're going to go over next week is going to be on 23 through the end of the book, which is going to be on feasts. And that aligns with sacrifices. And so keep that in the back of your mind as we go through the book. We'll go ahead and wrap up there. So if you guys would like to continue to follow along with us, you can go ahead and do that through all of the major podcast portals. If you do enjoy the show, please do feel free to leave a review wherever you listen. That does help out the show's visibility. Also, if you're blessed by the show, Please share the show with your friends, share it on Facebook, tell others about it. That way more people can be engaged with the show and be blessed by it as well. Also, we do have a website, www.thebibleisastory.com. There you can find all of our other resources, including access to the YouTube page, the podcast itself, the blog, and other things. If you'd like to email us, the email address is scripturechronicles at gmail.com. And if you'd like the most real-time information, the Facebook page is the place to do that. At Facebook, the handle is Scripture Chronicles. Like us and follow us there for the most real-time information. Other than that, we'll go ahead and end it. Guys, as always, Shalom, Shalom. Adios. Adios.